I am a JavaScript interpreter. Shit. <laughs> Welcome back to Not Daily Podcast. In this episode, we're going to debrief everything that happened since last episode. Is this the last episode before a quick summer break? Oh, maybe. I'm kind of have a lot of construction work planned in my apartment, so I don't know if I'll be able to record. My holidays on plan yet, but as usual in August, it will be a mess and I guess July as well. We could do a special summer episode once. <laughs> so this episode is definitely the last one before the next one. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Which is not tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in this episode, we're going to start by coming back to last episode where we debated heatedly over whether written or oral communication is objectively better. And there was a bit also about asynchronous versus synchronous conversation. We went in all kind of directions. Yep. And with hindsight, we can determine who won <laughs> based on the public uh, listener reactions. Wow. Maybe. We'll see. Did I, did I win? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I expected each of us to like gather all the followers that we could. And now we're going to compare. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> How many followers did you get in your camp? <laughs> <laughs> uh, undisclosed. Undefined. Not a number. <laughs> None. <laughs> <laughs> Not a number, but a lot. Is that possible? I thought we could start with everything that got cut off from uh, the, the recording last time because the recording session was a little longer than usual and there's whole chunks that were interesting but we decided to cut to keep the format kind of consistent and maybe we can go over them pretty quickly. Especially I felt bad because one of the bits that I cut was me saying oh written conversation can be media rich, reference images, reference specific bits of uh, YouTube videos to evoke a specific feelings. And uh, you said that, hey, you can also do that in voice chat or in yeah. even in parties or on Zoom or whatever. So it turned out to be a moot point, hence why it was cut. But yep. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was an interesting point. I think the last time we made a small mistake at the start that kind of defined how we did the whole conversation, which was we assumed that the text part was used by tool, meaning it was tool based. So like Slack or Messenger and that sort of things. And the voice part was face to face voice. I think for the conversation, to be fair, we should have been Zoom voice versus Slack or something like that, which would have been a bit of a fairer conversation. Well, it all depends on what you're trying to compare, right? It would have narrowed down the A-B testing to, to remove noise, I guess. But yeah, there's so many dimensions to the problem, like voice versus text, asynchronous versus synchronous, tools mediated or not. You, nowadays, you have these people sending voice messages asynchronously. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit of a mess, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, originally I went in the episode thinking we're going to talk about face-to-face -face conversation. And it's true that when you're on Zoom, it changes quite a lot because you have access to all the kind of same tools, search engine, copy-pasting that you could in IM. Though I do feel like when I'm on Zoom 
or on face-to-face -face communication like that, even mediated. I feel watched, so I still panic a little You bit. feel watched because you can see yourself. I don't understand why they're doing that. No, I think it's more about like immediate, uh, the immediate feedback. Like I know that the person in front is locked in my time frame. <laughs> so when I try to look for a link or something like that, I panic and mess up. But yeah, seeing yourself doesn't help, but this is easy to mitigate by hiding it. <laughs> Do you think maybe that you prefer writing because you don't like multitasking? And that allows you to have your own time frame? Where... I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. Like my gut feeling answer immediately is no, because I do like multitasking because I want to be able to jump between things, but it's one thing at a time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Quick serialization versus parallel. Maybe I'm really bad at, at multitasking in the, in the sense of parallel processing versus switch faster. Because when you say multitasking, it can be doing two things at once or doing two things alternating really fast. Yeah. I'm really good at the second and really bad at the first, probably. <laughs> what? It's more of a computer thing, no? To serialize very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm basically a computer. I only have one processor, though. I'm single-threaded. I am a JavaScript interpreter. Shit. I think you can, you can like, I, I love that. Like, there's a study for multitasking where you take random people and you dictate them some text and you make them read something else. And obviously at first, like, they can't read and write, at the, write something else at the same time. But after, like, a week of training, they can. And I always found that, like, completely fascinating. I wonder if it's, like, in computer, single-threaded, but that alternates really fast between tasks, or if the brain actually can do parallel processing. Uh, what do you mean? It's obviously parallel, no? I don't know. It's hard to tell, right? How would you test that without a complete mapping of the brain? I, I'm not saying... It, well, yeah, I, you need to be sure that they don't intersect by a bottleneck. But yeah. No, but like they obviously <laughs> intersect. Like they obviously intersect. But, but what I mean is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. To, to see if like one neuron is waiting for a neuron to do something. I, I, it feels very wrong to me. I mean, in, in 20 years, we'll have the answer, but I, I, I concur. 20 years? Wow, you're very optimistic. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. I've been reading Ray Kurzweil lately. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we will have computer singularity way before brain mapping. Way before. Yeah, yeah, I, it seems possible. But optimism is nice sometimes. Not it, my uh, mood this week. Uh, Not my mood, Johan. <laughs> brightens the room. <laughs> Not my <laughs> podcast. Okay, since we're talking about the brain, there was a nice bit last time where, well... A couple of last bits that got cut because they were not very well formatted. But that talked about what would be the ideal means of communication when we finish mapping the whole brain, essentially. Like, if we could just communicate brain to brain, would that be more like face-to-face -face talk or asynchronous I am Obviously speech? talk. What? And so it wouldn't be talk. The very different thing from speech would be that the signal would be way richer. Right? You wouldn't limit your informational bandwidth to audio. You could have feelings and all kind of shit. You could have brain state, basically, but you couldn't be enriched by external media. You could have hypertext links that you can follow really fast. Maybe it will end up the best of two worlds, right? <laughs> Do you think it's going to be, oh, can we make a brain call? Or is it going to be like, oh, I'm sending you a brain capsule and you pick it up whenever you can? I think it will be worse than that, no? It will be pushed, like vocal, basically. 
<laughs> I'm sending you yeah. a brain capsule and you can't refuse it. Why would you be able to? I know it depends. Either it's mediated. You can process it on your own time. It depends if it's mediated by technology or if it's mediated by genetics. I don't see genetics. Biology. Yeah, biology. <laughs> Sorry. But if it's biology, I don't see a notification system being put in place. <laughs> I don't see that happening. I mean, you can probably do biological cues. <laughs> I don't know. We're very bad at delaying notification. Yeah, that's true. AKA pain. Pain is a bullshit signal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess if brain-to-brain communication it would be closer to pain, probably, right? To pain, to feelings, than it would be to yeah. letters. <laughs> Man, that sucks. <laughs> well, I don't know, because if that's happening, it will be mediated by technology. And if we have that, it means that we have loads of other shit. And we can clearly post stuff. Can post the pain. <laughs> My pain inbox. <laughs> Clearly, like, that needs to happen sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to my feelings inbox and I feel like... like I'm <laughs> aware that I feel pain. Like, I'm aware that I'm bleeding, but it's useless now. I'm done. That's a whole other conversation. We also cut from the recording a bit that was about my personal history about why I went into asynchronous IM communications, which was triggered essentially by the switch from Facebook to instant messaging, fully synchronous, always on, to asynchronous messaging. You send message and people reply when they get it. And that really influenced me. I still don't understand you're saying that. It makes sense. But I don't remember at all the switch. Well, maybe switch before you you came on Facebook. Maybe. But even on MSN, I kind of remember on MSN, you could like send message to offline people. I don't think you would, but you could. Yeah. Towards the end of MSN, you could, but it was more an extra feature than the default mode of conversation. And I feel like it completely switched when Facebook did that. But at a cultural level? Because, uh, well, at the cultural level and mostly in the UX, I think when you send messages asynchronously offline to MSN, it used to be, it tells you in red, oh, this person's not on, and then it sends it grayed out to the other person. Whereas Facebook really considered asynchronous message like first class mm. citizens. There's also something about like culture there because when we were younger, when we were sending text message, it was kind of understood that you needed to respond directly and like you could have a conversation with like 40 texts a month. I don't know <laughs> if you remember, but yeah, it was yeah. kind of synchronous, even if it was not meant for that at all. Like you would always answer your friends. Yeah, and fast. you had this time slot saying like, oh, tonight I'm doing instant messaging. <laughs> <laughs> that changed quite a bit. <laughs> but even, even, that's insane because even the telecoms had subscription where you would have unlimited text from eight to nine. Or you would have two hours of phone call during like two hours at night. So text actually started out like voice conversation and then diverged probably something like that. Yeah. Well, then there was email in parallel, but I mean, this breed of synchronous text conversation just died, I guess. To continue on listeners' comments, Ayaris sent us a comment who tells us that we were less organized and specific than usual. He was saying that usually we define our vocabulary and stick to it. And here there was a lot of confusion around us not having the right terms, which 
I do agree because I don't know much in signal processing. So I tried to look a little bit for the right terms, but didn't <laughs> find anything. What did you mean by that? Like the right terms? Well, we're just very hand wavy, right? When there should be precise vocabulary to talk about what we mean. So for instance, he was talking about his work in uh, fully homomorphic encryption. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very specific but essentially encrypting signals and in his paper in his research papers he distinguishes between bandwidth and delay bandwidth is the number of bits of information that you transmit divided by the time you transmit them in okay and delay is the time after which you receive a piece of information so his last paper presented a method that was heavily serialized compared to state-of-the-art that was really parallelized. So his stuff took longer overall to do, so he had less bandwidth, but he had a part of the message ready, like he encrypted images image by image instead of overall. So the delay, like the first bit of communication, was ready before. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So th we didn't really talk about that at all. It's always a full you message. Know, because in asynchronous communication, there has to be some terms to define the waiting period and stuff like that. Because... But like that came back to the conversation that we had about how much time, about yeah, time, how yeah. much time does it take to exchange information in total. But still, I don't think that this terminology is what we want, right? Because in our conversation, you were taking the earth clock's time and saying, oh, you're exchanging one bit per second. Whereas I was taking the personal people's clock time, where it's in fact, you're exchanging one bit and takes two seconds. So here we're more talking about instant bandwidth instead of average bandwidth and bandwidth for a person throughput, maybe? Why not? I don't know. <laughs> We should have defined terms for that, is what he was saying. So the overall bandwidth of the interaction and the delay of the interaction are better at oral, but the instant bandwidth or the personal bandwidth, the personal throughput, is higher in asynchronous, in text communication. Is that fair? I'm not is sure that it's fair. fair. Uh, why is it better? Because you read faster. If you listen at like... We so. can say that the delay or latency or whatever, the time between the start of the interaction and the end of the interaction is probably always better in speech. Yeah, that's obvious. So the delay is always better. The overall bandwidth is faster in speech, especially if you include the blocking waiting periods. That's for sure. So if you don't include the blocking waiting periods, then I think it's a little bit more blurry. But you have to because all the benefits of writing, to like writing, reading comes from that period. If it's completely synchronous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's different metrics, right? <laughs> I'm just talking about all the different ways you can measure it. I think the incoming bandwidth, so your download speed of the information when you read or you listen, is clearly better reading. That's for sure. And the upload speed when you speak is probably better probably. Uh, speaking than writing most of the time. And so what I was saying is that I'm tired of people who only think about upload and don't think about download. Oh, isn't it a nice way to present it? <laughs> but I, uh, this framework really helped me put my finger on one thing that really bothers me about audio conversation. In discussing with the Yaris, I was wondering the difference between bandwidth and throughput. And apparently bandwidth is the information capacity of, of the channel. 
like you can exchange x bit per second and the throughput is the effective used okay. uh, like the effective speed of communication so if you're not using your internet you still have two gigabytes of bandwidth and zero throughput and the thing that drives me insane with oral communication is that you are stuck at a suboptimal download speed mm -hmm. whereas you're never in uh, well except when you're talking i guess and even then i'm not sure anyway throughput and bandwidth are not equal and by a lot since we listen to YouTube in times two or three or whatever. Whereas when you write and read, you have less waste. It's closer to the optimal of throughput equals bandwidth. When you read, obviously. Especially when you read. When you write, maybe your thoughts go faster, but... But you're also very limited by talking. That's why we talk fast. I guess when writing and speaking, I feel limited in the same way. Kinda, but reading versus listening, there's a clear one that doesn't limit me. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. I, I wonder what the world would be like if we trained to write as much as we train to speak. <laughs> Maybe one day. I mean, we did, we do train a lot to write on paper, which is a skill that uh, <laughs> is suboptimal for a lot of reasons. And that's uh, actually a point echoed by Yaris is that the main advantage of voice is that it allows to do something like it doesn't block your visual field <laughs> but i don't know if it's a good way to frame it because you i don't know what when we were talking about conversation we were always talking about stuff that has your full attention right not divided attention uh, but it is true that you pretty much can't read with divided attention we didn't talk a lot about asynchronous voice which has a like, huge benefit, like podcast has huge benefits because you can like walk on the street, you can do your cleaning, you can do lots of shit that you can't do with writing and reading. And I, I think it's funny because it's precisely the thing that I find problematic during live conversation that allows you that. It's because the throughput of your bandwidth is so low, you only need 50% of, of your attention so you can switch, do micro switches and do, do multitasking versus if I'm in a meeting and I can't do multitasking, it's very frustrating. <laughs> So it's a double-edged sword, right? It is. I'm just wondering if it's the same thing with serialization and parallelization as before. Meaning, I don't think you use the same process of understanding someone talking versus, I don't know, cleaning your house, for example. I don't think they collide at all. Also, there's an input method. Like, you, you still have your hand. Well, you can't do that with writing. So you actually have... It's clearly... <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about listening but now you're talking about speaking actually both part of the thing allows you to do other stuff in parallelization okay so who's the one who does not pay attention to the conversation now mr audio conversation you are criticizing me like time for altabing <laughs> during our text conversations <laughs> Well, the thing is, like, you don't need to alter because it's parallel. Well, as with writing, you need to say it. I mean, I... You can have a full 50% of my attention. <laughs> you can have 100% of the 50% that is used to do that. I was feeling bad because I alter between I stuff, so it felt like I'm not giving my full attention to someone. But in fact, <laughs> you're worse than me. Okay, so I'm removing all the points where I praise you for that. Let, let me just... It's not the same thing because you have 100% of the useful attention. Whereas when you are typing, you're removing 100% of all of your attention. Yeah, well, you have 100% of my undivided attention for a short amount of time. But then it's divided though, because there's a cost to entry and a cost to leave. There is, but I've been working a lot on that and I have lowered it 
quite a lot. Tangentially, like I, I tried to find information about how people use text messages and I didn't find anything either. Like I have a Twitter survey of four answers. <laughs> Whether people use text like a phone conversation saying hi and bye. Or like what I realized that I do, basically all my I am conversation are everlasting. <laughs> essentially a one huge conversation but it's interesting because with friends you never say i or not i yeah but does saying hi like is it enough to quantify them as one off versus like in time is that the right well it does because it clearly marks the beginning of a unit of conversation and then you don't say bye but the next time you say hi it closed the one before yeah. I guess. So uh, I'm wondering how long is our last unit of conversation? <laughs> Maybe five years? I don't know. With me, like, yeah, the conversation, the units of conversation tend to blur into one another, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> There's no clear boundaries. I'm searching in our conversation. Okay. The only time you say hello is either your machine learning stuff is another thing which was hello from the past. And the actual last time you said hello to me was in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Our conversation has been going on 10 years. Wow. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by the creators of this podcast, who are not even sure what they're doing. My main takeaway from trying to look at research papers is it's kind of hard to find papers addressing uh, addressing this. It seems like a simple question, but how do you phrase it? How do you get into a research domain that you don't know and that seems so obvious? <laughs> I, I don't know. So uh, let me tell you what I found. I tried to split it in very tractable questions to ease my information gathering. So I guess maybe I'll start with uh, the thing that I didn't find. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out uh, was the whole asynchronous versus synchronous and I didn't find any conclusive thing not because of lack of papers but because too many papers because everyone's writing about that with COVID especially in the context of learning right like do you learn better asynchronously or synchronously and I don't know it's not really what I was asking so <laughs> but I think the conclusion of metastat like of the studies I could see is more or less than there is so many factors in the specific context of learning during COVID that impact way more the learning rate than asynchronous versus synchronous, just like the motivation of people, their their economic background, etc. And there's a big switch as well. And the, and the social context, yeah. So <laughs> I couldn't find anything conclusive. The question on which I had better results is uh, listening versus reading mostly framed as comprehension, like reading a book versus listening to an audiobook or something like that. This I was able to have clear uh, research on it. And especially uh, I advise anyone if you want to have this kind of uh, research to look for meta-analysis because <laughs> that way someone else did the work for you. In this case, it's Virginia clinton Lissell from the University of North Dakota. Thank you, Virginia. Who did a meta-analysis of 46 studies. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Virginia. <laughs> so the conclusion, uh, let me read my notes. <laughs> Multimodal is better, I guess. Well, I don't think it was no multimodal. even an option okay. to have multimodal. Like, it was about books, so 
most of the time you only read one book like you don't reread books no I, I meant like reading the book while listening to it while listening to the book you have to listen it at the exact same speed <laughs> I don't think that was a condition in the experiments that's what we're doing with film with subtitle by the way but that is true that is true but the, the, you have the image to serve as ground truth to help synchronize uh, so she found no reliable difference between reading and listening comprehension overall But reading was better than listening when the reading condition is self-paced rather than experimenter-paced. Okay. So I feel bad for all the people. How can it be? How can it be experimenter-based? One word per one word per one word. Yeah, or one sentence per one sentence, I guess. Or you you read subtitles. <laughs> It's interesting how it echoes our discussion about the self-clock versus world clock, right? Reading on the world clock doesn't work. Reading <laughs> <laughs> also had a benefit when inferential and general comprehension rather than literal comprehension was assessed. So reading gives you more time to think and make inferences, I guess. You can do poses. <laughs> What were they reading on? I don't know. Uh, it's a meta study. I didn't read the meta study fully, so <laughs> I don't know what the original studies were doing. I'm asking that because there was a cool research about where do you read as a huge importance on understanding and remembering. That's true. Yeah. Screen versus paper versus fake paper. Have huge impact yeah i mean it's obviously in uh, very strictly controlled conditions and very artificial yeah, conditions too yeah. but essentially it was about like giving you time to think <laughs> and make inferences i don't know if uh, comprehension and understanding is the the right way to frame it but uh This is what it is. <laughs> This is what I found. Now that we're talking about research, we can be a bit more theoretical about it. What if you had a dial where you can change the speed of speech while the person is talking? So you're like, time five, and when you need a bit more time, time three, time one, time... Well, that cannot work in synchronous conversation because like... Yeah, because people are not computer, but... <laughs> Unless at the end you have to wait for the guy to finish speaking. You can have it slower, but not faster, which is not what I want. <laughs> but if I could do that, I would probably feel a lot better already. And my meetings would be a lot faster. If <laughs> 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 you could skip the boring parts. Maybe it's the right time to talk about that. It's, it puts into perspective something that we kind of swept under the rug and that I wanted to come back to is what is the goal of the conversation like is it necessarily informational bandwidth uh, because here the research was framed as comprehension understanding our discussion f focused a lot on bandwidth we talked a little bit about it i think it was off record yeah it was uh, that uh, sometimes you're just chit-chatting to pass time or to feel good and not necessarily to exchange information can't remember what sociological thing it was, but it was saying that 80% of speak is gossip. Uh, and gossip was defined as talking about someone else in any terms. Well, that's still exchange of information, though. But maybe during a gossip uh, interaction, you don't really care about bandwidth. So it was framed as saying that you need to have assurance that you're doing the right thing and talking about someone else allow you to know the rules. Meaning, oh, have you seen that guy did that? And you can see how people respond and you can update 
how people feel about the behavior. Sure, sure. My uh, brain still reads that as information transfer about social conventions. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. I was going to say like, oh, you don't need to convey precise information. Maybe you're just talking about, oh, the weather or talking about someone's life or something like that, painting a picture. But even then, you're still painting a picture with information. <laughs> but the goal might not be to maximize informational bandwidth, I guess. Sometimes the goal is to build consensus. The goal is just to be entertaining, basically, which is... How can you be entertaining with less information? <laughs> it depends on what you mean by entertaining. And if entertaining is just passing time, like you can just forget that you need to think. My main entertainment is to get more information. Okay, well, we went in all kinds of directions. We clarified the picture quite a bit in async versus not, but I think that maybe essentially it comes down to personal preferences. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of objectiveness, uh, objective answers. Like, I like my information processed and mediated, and you like it raw and rough. <laughs> in, in fun conversation. Care about mankind's clock as a whole, and I consider the sum of all individual clocks but that's also like a personal preference kind of i think i also prefer the no history way meaning i can say bullshit stuff and there's no memory <laughs> of it whereas in writing everything is saved everything has trade-offs and comes down to preferences the thing that is weird is that i think we're very much on the end of the bell curve i hate texting and you hate talking i think which is rare both end of the bell curve are very rare <laughs> mo most people don't care maybe maybe but communication is all about finding middle grounds anyway right so <laughs> well i think most people don't care either but how can people not obsess about all the stuff we obsess about <laughs> do you mean we're a niche podcast <laughs> we're a niche podcast that find a niche every different episode which makes no fucking sense <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you have to pick your battle. Like in oral conversation, you're forced to wait, to zone out at the slow speed of the conversation and wait for the person to finish talking. But in asynchronous text conversation, you have to wait for the recipient to send your stuff. So you have waiting in either case. There's really no objective answer. So who won the debate? I think Hegel won the debate. Like he always does. I don't know. I guess on some level you won since this is an audio recording. <laughs> I mean, when we will do a text episode, maybe that's going to be our summer special. We'll see. That could be a nice conclusion. Stay tuned for more experimental artistic formats. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode sponsor, Gravity. Not familiar? We're changing that. Once reserved for only physics majors in college courses across the world, now everyone can experience gravity firsthand from their own home or office, all without leaving their chair. By the way, uh, <sighs> Midnight Gospel is cancelled. Am I supposed to act as if it was the first time hearing the news or not? <laughs> Because it is actually today is my first time hearing the news and you actually told me the news, but you told me the news just before the recording. So. I know. But I cannot say that I am too surprised. <laughs> I was surprised that there would be a season two. Was it confirmed? No, no, it was confirmed that they were working on it. And then it said uh, they went back on their wall. And then they went back on their wall. But like, actually, having a first season of this show is already very weird. Maybe we can start this what is by this show? what is this show for the people who might not have heard of it. Because in our very long list of potential topics, we wanted to introduce this show back when it came out. <laughs> That's true. 
So there's a podcast called Duncan Trussell Familiar, where this guy interviews a lot of different people. So it goes from, I don't know, like singer, thinker, I don't know, guru, <laughs> shaman. Uh, uh, He's very, very diverse, right? Yeah. <laughs> He gets scientists and very mystic personalities over there. Always. But it's always meant... I think it's always meant to talk about consciousness, but in the large sense of the world. Life and being human. It's like the human condition, dude. Yeah, the experience of being human. Yeah. So they, they took this podcast. Which was already pretty trippy to begin with. <laughs> and they made a show, not about it, but with the audio. So they took the trippiest episodes, they cut it, and they put it in anime forms with this pink guy going to different dimension where he meets people and interviews them right that echoes he discusses with them more like which echoes the structure of the podcast well and it's actually recording of the podcast which if you don't know you can't really tell well you can tell it's an unusual medium format right because you don't you never have like 20 minutes of discussion of people tripping out about like oh what does it feel like to be human unless you're watching experimental cinema or richard linklater movies <laughs> stuff like that it feels off it doesn't feel like your average tv show because it doesn't have a plot and it's just people talking and there's all this stuff going on in the background but it's in the background and they're just talking you can say that it makes no sense sometimes like the subject is not clear we were talking right before about information exchange in terms of information you don't receive much you much more receive a feeling that's the part that drives me a bit crazy about duncan russell because sometimes he's talking to scientists and they are talking to him about something very literally true and he always goes back to the level of feeling and makes total nonsensical statements in science. Which is weird, is usually it would anger me. But with him, it just feels fine. Obviously, it doesn't feel logical. I mean, that's what you sign up for, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't sign up for information. Uh... Yeah, no, but like it doesn't feel anti-scientist, for example, which it could be. <laughs> I mean, uh, to me, it feels a bit anti-scientist because when someone tells him a fact, he's like, oh, yeah, and that's like all this other mystical bullshit. And by equating it, it denies the epistemological status of science. But <laughs> it's implicitly anti-science, I guess, more than explicitly. The implication is that science doesn't matter, but it's never stated. Yeah, because I don't think it matters to him, but which is very different than saying anti-science discourse in today's age usually means something else that's true that's true this is engaging on himself and in a very innocent way when you're i don't know when you're listening to joe rogan i think it's way more hurtful like the actual life of people i mean duncan trussell is really agreeable in the psychological sense of the term right he always says yes and yes that's right. <laughs> never seen someone follow other people like that might be the most agreeable person i've ever seen <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, it's always affirmative to like the other person experience of life. Which I think is, is really good for interviews. And it makes a really great experiential product, like the cartoon is trippy and interesting, etc. I don't think it makes a very well uh, informational, educational content, because then all kind of unconscious thoughts bubble up and are presented as truth. I think the show makes a better argument of teaching people to be nice to others and to accept that people are different, whatever they say and whatever they are, 
that can be a good argument for the show if you need to find like a sick about the show whereas the podcast i think is a bit less because it's in real life <laughs> i think you can feel that a bit less i don't know the show made me feel good except this weird episode with flesh <laughs> <laughs> the show is always very very trippy it's made it's uh, directed by the creator of, Ad of Adventure Time, which is trippy to begin with. And in animation, you can really do uh, non-figurative, <laughs> weird stuff, which is one of the reasons why I like animation more than live action. Yeah, they, they really go all out on the weirdness, which is why I'm not too surprised that they can't make too much of it, <laughs> because it costs a lot to make animation in the end. I feel like it would be a good Kickstarter. Probably, yeah. People that like it, I think, would pay for more. And I think he has a big audience. I mean, the news is very recent of the cancellation, so maybe he's gonna end doing a Kickstarter or something like that, continuing it in one form or another. But Netflix being what it is and like knowing how they are canceling everything nowadays because of their decrease of subscribers, uh, I'm not very surprised. <laughs> well, they're canceling everything. It might be the only thing that I'm sad about, though. It makes sense. So... Overall, what happened is that Netflix got a very strong, almost monopolistic position on the market of online VOD. And that allowed them to do creative, weird stuff. And now it's just back to concurrence. I don't know why it took so long to happen, but capitalism is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Though, if I know anything about capitalism, it's gonna end up with going back to monopolies or geopolies. <laughs> so maybe back there. It's already consolidating between three, basically, like Netflix, Amazon, and Disney. Yeah. But then why can't you abuse your monopoly position to do cool projects anymore? Oh, because you're constantly copying the others. Like, monopoly is very different than duopoly or something. Is it? It really depends. In telecommunication, you can have a duopoly that basically is a monopoly. Yeah, yeah, but if you have Netflix as it was before, did crazy projects, did risky projects, and now they don't anymore because they might lose some market share because there's more pressure, right? I don't know. It always felt weird that Netflix had money to do that weird shit because apparently the internal culture was very, very strongly on, on watching KPIs. There was no, let's do cool stuff to do cool stuff. But they only did weird stuff on animation, though. Well, I don't know. Like, Inside is a bit of a weird project or this kind of stuff. Like they... I think Inside costs no. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> but Netflix, I associated them with with taking risks and being a little bit it's funny because like i was gonna say outside the mold but they're parallel to that they are the ones who develop the strongest mold through which they put most of their production right they really produced a lot of things i guess <laughs> like they produced so much shit that some of them is weird but it ended up being good just by mistake i think the the lesson here is that capitalism can produce good things only by accident and it never lasts <laughs> Okay, bye. Give all of your feedback on everything yeah, at no, the daily podcast. To conclude, bye bye. To conclude, ciao, ciao. Uh, Boom, we can, bye. Uh, not we tomorrow. Can... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna use that. <laughs> I want just to properly conclude by uh, pouring one out to another dear friend departed, fallen victim to capitalism. Well, Midnight Gospel fell to the fell prey okay. to capitalism. Right? I, I <laughs> you forgot the topic. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> Who died? <laughs>
<laughs> Who went working for IBM? <gasps> well, people still work for IBM. <laughs> no, but still, since we talked about Midnight Gospel and Capitalism, let's just pull one out for our dearly departed. And we will see you next time, which might be after the summer, but also maybe not. What I wanted to say is that we know what it's not going to be. It's not going to be an ep a normal episode tomorrow. <laughs> so feel free to reach out to us on all the social media platforms that you mentioned <laughs> I didn't mention I say everything at not daily everything, podcast everything all the time at once uh, gmail twitter reddit youtube not daily podcast in one go without spaces because we will see you later but, but not, not tomorrow, tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>